right, everybody, welcome to the Storm Hunters podcast on April 22nd, 2014. Supposedly it is spring, and we are, today was a nice spring day. But anyways, we are pleased to have uh, three uh, fellow Saskatchewan-based storm chasers joining us tonight to talk about the upcoming Saskatchewan storm seasons and our plans and predictions uh, for that upcoming season. Uh, so welcome to Natani, Nick, and Ryan. Hi. Hello there. Howdy. So guys, <laughs> let's first of all start off, uh, whoever wants to go first. Um, question I want to put to you is just your general prediction, if you have one, of uh, storm season in 2014 for Saskatchewan. We like to do this as storm chasers going into the year. Not everybody does, but some people like to do predictions going into the beginning of the year, whether they come true or not. Speculation can be fun, that's for sure. <laughs> We're not meteorologists, but uh, we'll give us a we'll give it a we'll give it a go, right? Sure, why not? <laughs> and what are you thinking, Nick? Uh I'm not sure. I think um, if we keep getting um, a lot of moisture and some rain like we've been having, and it heats up, then I think it could be. Um, not too bad up here. Um, looks like in uh, late May, there's a few interesting uh, sort of trough patterns that are going to be heading up um, through the northern Midwest plains there, um, and that'll inevitably make its way up here in June, uh, July, I would say. So looks like there might be some promise, um, but if it doesn't rain, I don't. I think it's going to be pretty slow. We need rain. Need need moisture. Yeah. <clears throat> I know with the uh, tons of snow that we have here, like, I don't know about you guys, but I know around the Roxton area, like where my parents farm, uh, this is like the first time ever that we still have our winter snow on the ground and there's like three plus feet of snow everywhere. So I'm like, if that not does to mention, you, I'm like. Not to mention on, on uh, Saturday when I was in Yorkton, there was about another uh 10 or 12, 15 centimeters on the ground there within a few hours and came down pretty hard for a while. Yorkton had yeah, lots was, more snow than Regina. When it first started snowing, because I was on the highway going back to the farm, and uh, the the it, it was raining hard, and then all of a sudden it turned to snow, and, and the snow was like, it, at first I felt it was thought it was hail, because when it was hitting my windshield, it was like blowing up at like, you know, like water balloons. <laughs> it was like probably the biggest snowflakes I've ever experienced in my life. Probably because it was so close to freezing level, I guess, eh? Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of uh, fat so, snowflakes for a, a long period of time. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So you guys are aware that there's a, a special weather statement issued for your area, right? I saw you post about that, but I haven't read it yet. What's What's all the details on that? Well, basically what's happening is, uh, as you know, we're going to have pulse thunderstorms move through uh, Saskatchewan tomorrow, and they'll move, eventually we'll move to the Manitoba-Yorkton area. And uh, because of the the uh, spring melt as it's going over there, <clears throat> if, you have, if you put uh, 20 to 30 millimeters of rain on top of the ice, uh, you guys are going to have some localized flooding, possibly. So they put out a special weather statement earlier this uh, early this afternoon 
uh, from Melfort, Tisdale, Nipawin area, Carrot River, Prince Albert, Duck Lake, you know, that kind of area. I think it might probably migrate your area, your direction as well. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I think uh, I think probably about 50, 50 to sixty k north of Yorkton is probably where the cutoff line is. But if it gets uh, if it moves a little a little faster, it's moving pretty fast as it is. But if it moves a little faster, you might end up with some some pretty heavy rain for a while there. Yeah, yeah. definitely don't need no more. But, I, but as for predictions for this summer, I mean, <clears throat> we're kind of. It seems that uh, the, most of the weather is is going in a uh, west-easterly direction, more of a instead of the usual northeast that it normally does because of the uh, El Nino. Uh, it's not it's not sending as much moisture northwards as it normally is because uh, I think I think most of the storms, most of the good stuff will be, to be honest, probably in Manitoba this year. That's my prediction. Else want to comment on that? <laughs> I don't have Sastel, so I suck in live streaming in Manitoba. <laughs> so, in terms of yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, Manitoba. I mean, is I think a more likely candidate for storms this year than re, re, um, Saskatchewan is too. But uh, the funny thing is, is that 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 west to east pattern didn't really hold true or the northeast to um you know the southwest to northeast pattern didn't really hold true last year either i remember being um a little disoriented a lot of the time because a lot of those storms were moving from the northwest to the southeast uh, yeah that was remember weird. that <laughs> yeah that that storm that that kind of weird renegade storm that kind of started up by saskatoon and dropped all that hail on uh Saskatoon and then just continued right through the middle of Regina and then all the way down to, to Estevan. Yeah, was that July? 20th? That was sort yeah. of. Yeah, was... somewhere around there. Yeah. Uh, that that was the type of pattern that a lot of the storms I found followed last year, which was really bizarre as a spotter because I'm not used to following storms in the sort of opposite direction they come. So I found myself having to sort of reverse my brain a lot of the time, which was annoying as hell. Now, I'm wondering if that has anything to do with their system telekinetic blocking. You know what I mean? Like, if there was was there a block? Like, I wasn't paying attention too much to uh, high high level uh, <clears throat> systems where they were and influencing the bigger picture of of uh, the flow of weather. Like, for example, if there was a, a, a circulating low pressure system over Hudson Bay area, and that was causing a block and and in doing so causing weather in our area to move in a trans uh, in, in in an unusual way from you know north to south i wonder if that had any influence last year do you guys remember at all mm. no, not really. you know how sometimes uh, pressure systems can cause blocking yeah, mm -hmm. i i remember somebody mentioning that last year but i haven't given really that too much thought um, I just figured that they were um, that uh, harp was seeding the clouds in the opposite direction last year. Well, that makes absolute sense. It's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> probably following the magnetic lines. Yeah, instead of instead of following the jet stream like those those cloud seeding planes normally do, they probably flew the opposite direction. 
yeah, probably just to intentionally mess us up. Harp, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> damn it. Uh, what are your thoughts, Josh? What do you think? Well, in terms of uh, the severity of the season, I mean, that that's obviously hard to say. And I mean, in, we live in Saskatchewan after all, so anything's possible. Um, one question I wanted to say, that one topic I wanted to bring up was, uh, what do you think an ETA of our storm season could be? Because this has been a constant fluctuating hot, cold, hot, cold spring so far. Do you think that's going to play a role in the arrival of storm season? When it starts in August, <laughs> when the snow goes away, <laughs> uh, I think I think I think you'll see uh, I think you'll see an earlier start to it this year. I don't think a lot of you're not going to need a lot of long periods of hot weather to get storms firing this year. Like I said, as long as we get the, the moisture, I think if you get one day where you have enough heating and there's enough energy in the air, you'll see you'll see thunderstorms um, of a you know relatively severe nature, no matter. Uh, no matter what, I think the storm season could start as early as a couple of weeks from now on a sort of lesser, sort of more isolated extent. And then, of course, um, late May um, and then mid-June into mid-July is usually a pretty a pretty good time, too. I mean, driving back um, down Highway 10 on, on Sunday evening, there were a number of, um, you know, good pop-up sort of storms that you could see forming, but they just couldn't get high enough in the atmosphere. They would drop a little rain and then... And then kind of yeah. disappear again. I didn't yeah, see it's any. Nice to see convection again, eh? <laughs> nice it is, yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's pretty early. Like it's pretty early this year. I don't remember it being this early last year. No, it totally um, wasn't. We, we had to wait till May before we started seeing our first funnel, our first yeah. full core funnel. Sec- second week of May or something, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and I mean, the, there was uh, on the drive home. There was one. Um, there was one or two, well, two storms, one sort of to the south of Regina and then another one that was kind of to the north that um, did have, um, you know, a well-defined base to the cloud, although it was quite high based and, and lots of heavy precipitation um, sort of on that front side of the storm and a good shelf, um, you know, fairly poorly defined shelf, but a shelf nonetheless on the front of the storm. And then, and then your typical lowering out the back end. Now, whether or not these, uh, you know, storms could have produced any funnels at that high distance is unlikely, but um, certainly the structure was there. It was exciting to see that for sure. Steven, do we have anything on the chat tonight? Mm, not really. We had sort of a fun question here. Yeah. Which just for fun. I mean, obviously, really there's knows. really no meteorological way to predict this, but anybody want to take a guess on if and when the first tornado in Saskatchewan will be this year? This is a question from the, give, it, from give us a chat. range. Just give us a range. I'm, I'm going to say the first tornado in Saskatchewan will be June 14th, Saturday, June 14th. Awesome. I'll take I was going to say June 7th. Just, just by looking at my notes from last year. I'm thinking about early June as myself. Uh, probably southwest Saskatchewan, Cypress, north of Cypress Hills towards Swift Current area. Uh, maybe uh, to be adventurous, going towards uh, Lloyd Minster because of the <clears throat> because of the way the air flows through the uh, the crack in the. How do I say? There's 
there's several airflows that are important that go through from the uh, Rocky Mountains into the plains. And I think uh, I think there will be enough turbulent air from that direction that will cause our first tornado. And it will probably be, you know, anywhere between Cypress Hills and Lloydminster. That's where I think it's going to be. Yeah. Just for fun. Yeah, and I, that southwest corner definitely saw a lot of the severe storms. Not just well, that's where the moisture is going to come from. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, even last year was early in the year. Everything was firing down there, and everybody in central Saskatchewan sit on radar and, and watch those and wish they were there. Um, do you think that's going to be a trend? I mean, we've sort of already seen some pop-up storms down there this spring. Do you think that's going to continue right into right into May, June? Wouldn't be surprised. My thoughts... My thoughts are they'll they'll get stronger and stronger. I mean, right now, thunderstorms right now are on their training wheels. They're like little toddlers making it over into the drier air areas, you know. And <laughs> that's how I, you know, as these storms get more and more daytime energy and mature into May and June, that's that's when the fun times begin. And I, I think that's when we'll start seeing our, our more more frequent uh, uh, severe thunderstorm or times um of course uh, july is hands down the storm season for saskatchewan mm -hmm. hands down right absolutely yeah. so uh i wanted to also bring up a little uh topic around the table here about uh everybody's plans and sort of hopes for the season anybody got anything special going on they they're hoping to accomplish or they want to share Anything at all? I'm going to have a cool announcement about um, my chasing spotting in a couple weeks' time. Probably post it on my Facebook. But just, you know, a teaser right now. Okay. <laughs> How about you, Nick? Uh... No, I don't really have any uh, any huge plans or anything like that. Um, I've got a new system. Um, last year, I uh, I was able to ditch the uh, the Toyota Yaris for uh, most of my spotting adventures, and and uh, I'm utilizing a Jeep Compass now. And I've got a uh, some new technology in uh, in the Jeep that I'll be utilizing. A uh, little thing called Velcro. <laughs> Last year, uh, last year I mounted my cameras and stuff with uh, with duct tape, and uh, it was a constant battle to try and keep it in position. Uh, and this year, about a month ago, I went out and purchased some uh, Velcro. I cut it up into camera-sized pieces, and uh, I've got them strategically positioned along the dashboard. Sorry, the Rangers scored. I've got I think them. that went off twice got... when we had you on last time. <laughs> I think, yeah, when we did the podcast in September or October, that thing was going off. Anyway, uh, I uh, so I bought these uh, pieces of Velcro and, and strategically positioned them into uh, into places in the vehicle where I'll probably end up running a split, sp split screen camera this year. Okay. Um, and with some of the upgrades to um, the TVN technology that uh, everyone here knows about, uh, welcome to TVN, by the way, Josh. Um, uh, the uh, I'll probably run split screen, and I'll be able to uh, broadcast um, HD this year on 
on uh, all Mac and iPad and iPod and Android and PC and everything like that. So I've tested it out a few times, sort of in the middle of the night when nobody's up. Um, but you'd be surprised when you throw your bubble on the map there that all of a sudden you've got five or six followers even at 2 or 3 a.m. So I don't know who, yeah. who's, who's monitoring, well, who's monitoring uh, that website in the middle of the night. It's, like all the that, Jonas, but, uh, it's all the Jonas night crawlers out there. I guess so, yeah. Well, so uh, they, got about, they got about an hour show of me arranging uh, things on, on, uh, on the vehicle and uh, a couple of good views of a parked car and – light testing with the full moon and all that type of thing. So, uh, should be, oh, uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I went out and did some light testing and, um, tried to see what the night feed would be like too, because, um, that's always been a challenge in the past is trying to broadcast at night because even when, even when the storms are over and I like to, I like to, uh, converse with my audience and take questions and stuff like that and, and interact fairly heavily with them. But if there's nothing to watch, it's kind of, um, boring for people to tune in, I think. So I'd like there to be a, at least be able to position a camera that's on the inside of the on the Jeep as well, so that at least you can see me or or um, Chris, um, my photographer, uh, ride along guy if he's coming with us or whomever else happens to be in the in the back seat for a for a chase this year. And if anybody's listening and they want to come along for a, a storm chase at some point, I'm open to. Uh, taking anyone as long as they're willing to pay for a quarter or a third of the tank of gas, depending on who's along with us. So you can hit me up on Twitter, or private message me or whatever, if you're interested in that. That's a very valid point, Nick, especially uh, seeing that uh, gas has gone up another five cents per liter today. Uh, <laughs> storm chasing is definitely a challenge for any of us here. We we do this voluntarily. We go out there, we storm spot and, uh, <laughs> It is expensive. It's an expensive habit to get into, especially if there's a storm every, you know, two to three days, and you're like, "Oh God, I got to fill up." <laughs> oh no, it's gonna hurt. So definitely. Yeah. And I also tend to blow about two or three tires every storm season too on grid roads and hopping over things like that. So that's another expense. I'm going to get both the both sets of tires on both my vehicles replaced next week, and that's a, you know, two grand hit for good tires on those things and i'm pretty sure that's the second time i've had to change my my tires on my yaris or third time in the last four years so or burn another, up your I, engine <laughs> yeah the engine, don't like your engine yeah, on fire yeah that's true i recall that from uh that was last year wasn't it yeah last yeah. year when my car started on fire there in front of that uh that rotating cloud that was awesome was it definitely a good safety tip who too eh what if you didn't have that fire extinguisher with you it could yeah, have ended a lot worse then? eh yeah, I think it, I think the fire probably like it was pretty localized just over the exhaust and on my firewall, but that whole firewall is flammable. And by the time I saw the smoke and got out and popped the hood, and then really saw the smoke as soon as I popped the hood, the that's when the smoke turned into a flame. And so I, I ran out. Yeah, you gave it that oxygen. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I went out back there, grabbed the fire extinguisher, and by the time I came back, that flame had, was already spreading. So I'm kind of wishing I could have got all my stuff out of the car and just let it burn because I, I would have uh, <laughs> probably collected handsomely on the uh, on the insurance package. And not only that, but can you imagine the licensing for that video if a car is on fire and you've got a funnel cloud in the background? I don't, I don't awesome. know what I was thinking. If I wasn't... 
if I wasn't uh, so concerned for the safety of, of uh, Chris and myself, because that cloud was really kind of coming right towards us, and it had gone tornado warned, and it wasn't even a spotter call, and it was it was radar indicated a radar indicated tornado warning um, by Vibank Odessa there that got called in. So that worried me even more because typically by the time you've got a radar signature of a, that they've decided to go tornado warning, there's usually a pretty good chance that something's rotating pretty heavily. So I didn't want a chance at not and, and you know end up getting stuck there. But otherwise, you know, if some, if my vehicle starts on fire this year, I'll carry a fire extinguisher in case one of my passengers bursts into flames. But I think I might let the car the car go this year. That's a good idea. Good idea. I, I think plus I too will the, enjoy uh, that new invention. Sorry. Plus, Go with ahead. the Velcro system, it'll be with the Velcro system. It'll be really easy to get everything out of the yeah, vehicle. Yeah, I like especially point. if it catches on fire. Good idea. <laughs> yeah. I liked your point. But I would, rec I would recommend that everybody get themselves a fire extinguisher because I've had to use mine in my vehicle twice now, once for my own fire and once for another one. And uh, they don't cost very much. So like, you can get one for 30 or 40 bucks at uh, a Canadian Tire or a place like that. And, and uh, it's a good thing to have in the back of your vehicle in case uh, something goes awry. I always carry a full first aid kit and all the safety gear and, and uh, stuff like that. So. So, Nick, uh, what kind of fire extinguisher did you use? Was that a Class A one or Class B or Class C? Do you remember? I don't remember. Um, I know that it was specifically designed for vehicle use. So had it been like a big fire, I don't think there was any way that I'd have been able to put it out with that extinguisher. Um, right. But for for what um, – like it's when it sprayed out, it came – like it was more of a powder rather than a huge poof of – of uh, uh, CO2. Uh, oh, it was a dry. I get it. It yeah. was a dry chemical extinguisher. That's that's probably yeah. the one to advise. If anybody's listening to this, that's a that's an important safety tip because uh, if you get a Class A fire extinguisher, you're just spraying water around. So in a vehicle, if you've got a fire and it's probably oil based, you're probably all you're going to do with a Class A fire extinguisher is spread it around. Class B fire extinguisher, I believe, is CO2 based. Um, that. Well, yeah, it's, it's sure it's good at smothering fires and uh, maybe removing the heat, but it's not always effective against uh, car fires. I do highly recommend that the, uh, the fire extinguisher you use is what Nick had was a uh, dry chemical fire extinguisher. Hmm. Yeah, it, it was definitely specifically designed for, for car fires, um, which is typically what uh, you would encounter when you're driving. So I knew that I knew that much. And the last one, because when it sprayed out, it wasn't a big poof or anything. It was a very directed um, powder, you know, substance that sprayed. It, it did the, it put out the fire really well. Like there was no issue with it. We still had some smoldering stuff afterwards and it had just poured on that highway. So there were puddles everywhere and I carry a shovel with me too. So we were able to dump some water on it afterwards um, after we got the flame extinguished. But um I was really happy to have that uh, that fire extinguisher. I'll tell you that. <laughs> what about you, Ron? Have you got anything huge planned? Uh, you want to? Uh, oh yeah, you already said your thing. You said you're going to announce it in a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, as for me, I'm going to be putting in. Uh, of course, uh, Velcro is a very important tool. Is <laughs> I'm going to be putting that in my truck <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> That's. 
awesome. It stops stuff from sliding off, especially when you're lurching forward and coming to sudden stops and things like that. I mean, sometimes the road can lead you astray, you know. Um, I also intend on uh, using some high-definition cameras. I'm going to be employing a uh, HDMI switcher so I can use multiple cameras, um, mainly so that uh, I can at least switch from the you know the typical dash cam view to a handheld camera. That's my intention there. Um, I'm going to be bringing a. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be bringing a uh, mini PC instead of a, a laptop, so that'll be running the the streaming capabilities. And I'm going to be using a tablet for for my radar, streets and trips, and navigation guidance, that kind of thing. That's my plan there. Um, the only other big thing that I would like to try is uh, some post uh, post storm uh, photography. Uh, what I'd like to do is to employ a quadcopter and get some aerial shots of uh, post oh. uh, storm hits. Uh, for example. Uh, Pipestone, Manitoba, when it got hit last year, and we're right there after the tornado went through, it would have been a very useful tool to uh, to get people the whole picture of what just happened to that town. And you could probably just see the, the tornado uh, damage path through uh, through the fields and such. I thought that would have been an important tool to uh, to inform the public on how, how severe that that uh, weather event actually was. Uh, that is... Uh, that is in the plans. I'm not sure if I'm going to get that done before I leave for Oklahoma or not, but uh, that is one of my plans for this summer. Yeah, that that, that pipe stone was awesome. <laughs> that leads right into uh, a project that we have going on here too, similar to, to what you said, um, is aerial photography and such. And uh, just last night tested another drone project, which which turned out not too bad. So. Last year, I tried to deploy it a couple of times and uh, never quite worked out. Had a camera malfunction on one time, so hoping for pure execution on it this year. I've been um, we uh, apparently this uh, this whole what people are calling drone thing. We got to be careful. Uh, apparently, the uh, Transport Canada is changing a bunch of laws, and we got to do a little bit more research because. Uh, apparently, the laws are changing in gen in late June, I think. Um, it depends on what kind of aircraft you're flying and how big it is and whether or not it counts as an unmanned aerial vehicle and what counts as a drone or not. Like everybody who has a who's a hobbyist who owns a quadcopter doesn't make us drone owners. You know what I mean? There's different trans uh, laws against or laws to follow. Yeah. And we got to be careful about uh, whether or not we got to book a uh, book a flight with Transport Canada before we send one up. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I know that's a developing thing even in the U.S. as well. I mean, uh, you had TVN; they had uh, that uh, RC plane in I think 2009 that they were employed, and they got that on one chase and found out uh, that they weren't allowed to do that anymore. And now with supposedly some changing laws in there, they might be able to eventually get that back up but i mean that's always seems like rules like with uh that re regarding those things are always sort of evolving and changing as the industry sort of changes so have you guys done any research on uh vehicle mounted uh wind measuring devices or anything like that not overly no i know i've, I've had a lot of people ask me about them never really you have to shut you 
about a year ago, Nick uh, Nick Jenner he he uh, gave me this uh, lacrosse wind measurement uh, device, and I find it quite useful. But uh, I'm not always going to be able to go outside and see what the winds are like. I'd like to do it uh, with uh, a fixed mounted device instead, so I can stay dry. <laughs> Yeah, that real-time sort of wind data from inside the vehicle can be can be quite interesting, actually. Those held ha handheld uh, anemometers can be pretty useful, but it, it is. I mean, if, if you're taking wind speed measurements and you have the luxury of getting out of a car, you're probably not getting the greatest wind speed uh, measurement that you can get anyway, so... Exactly. If you're getting blasted by severe wind, it's probably... Go ahead, sorry. No, I was just agreeing. <laughs> yeah, like uh, I was trying to agree with Nick, it was just the fact that uh, handheld devices might not necessarily be able to read as fast as the wind is actually going in some of the severe wind events that pass through here. I mean, I have seen uh, uh, winds going up to about 110 kilometers per hour on it, but I, I really don't know what the limitation of it is. And, and you know, I'm sure there's something. Mm, yeah. yeah, they usually don't yeah, go much higher than that. If you're if you're standing outside with a handheld anemometer and the wind speeds are 110, you're at risk of getting blown away anyway. So uh, I think the I think the new one that I have, which is a little bulkier and it can connect to a, to a computer to give you um, a pressure reading, the wind speed, the air temperature, wind chill, all those types of factors. Um, it's uh, its limit is 140k, so I think that's a pretty 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 fair high upper limit. I don't think I'd want to be outside if it were much windier than that. No. <laughs> is that a, a fixed uh, household type of uh, station that you're talking about? No, it's a handheld anemometer. It's got a separate. Um, it's got a little computer on it, and then it's got a handheld uh, fan. I guess you would you would call it whatever the piece is that collects the wind speed data but inside the little box part is a is a barometer and a and a temperature a thermometer and uh well it, it measures a few other things i can't i haven't really fully looked it over but you can hook it up to a computer after the fact and it'll tell you it'll give you all the data max speed mid speed direction of the wind air pressure temperature all that type of thing uh, what's the manufacturer name of that? Uh, that's a good question. Let me uh, step away for a second. I'll go grab it. Okay. I was just curious. <laughs> I know I was looking at one for the house where you can. Uh, it links to uh, Weather Underground website, where you can oh, yeah. uh, you put your station outside and it collects your data and, and makes sure the the data on their website is accurate or something along those lines. Is, is, is that the Davis one, the D-A-V-I-S? They make some Something like that, yeah. I was given one as a gift, and um, they tested it first, but I think they uh, didn't have it working right, so it didn't work out too well. So it was a dud, but I do intend to get another one. I noticed a lot of the vehicle-mounted uh, yeah. wind anemometers, uh, they, they 
they, they output the display into a uh, LCD, you know, black on uh, a gray screen. And it's really hard to read, especially if you're chasing at night or in a darker type of situation where you need a, a light in order to read the display. And another thing I notice a lot of them don't do is they don't take into account if you're driving, it doesn't subtract uh, your speed. So it's not really giving you a true speed of what the wind is doing. All of a sudden, you're doing 200k second day. <laughs> so yeah, you're gonna have so, to um, yeah. do the math yourself, the I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so while we're waiting for Nick, we had a quick question on the chat here, Stephen. Uh, this question is: uh, Have you ever run out of gas while storm chasing? Oh, what was that? Have you ever run out of gas while storm chasing? Almost three times last year. <laughs> This year I'm bringing gas with me. <laughs> no, I don't no, think I, so. I don't think I've uh, run into that situation yet. I think it's been I pretty, pretty I, have, I haven't run out of gas either. I can't. Uh, I can't see who the manufacturer of this is on here. There's no marking or anything, which makes me suspect that it might be cheaply built. But I'm going to see if I can take this apart and see. Somebody sent this to me. Um, over the internets, and uh, maybe I'm gonna have to look at the manual. Does it tick here. like a time bomb or something? <laughs> no, there's no, there's no time bomb. I'll, I'll tweet out a picture of it so you can see what it looks like. But um, all it says on it is anemometer. And I doubt that's the company name. But I mean, if you were an anemometer selling company, that would be the ultimate name, I guess. If that's your solo project, and that's it. Yeah, that sounds yeah, like a single skew thing, type of those, company there. <coughs> okay, one more okay. question while Nick takes the anemometer apart. Um, uh, how, what is the furthest distance you've gone to see storms? In one day? Just, this is just a question off our chat. I'm getting some uh, feedback. Looks like uh, we're cycling the audio here. I know myself, um, I think it was early June. Um, in fact, uh, you, Natani, and Nick were both helping me on the stream um, that day where I had that funnel cloud on, in Maple Creek. Uh, it was like June 7th or something like that last year. Um, I was pretty much out the Alberta and border and back in one day. It was a it's a long day, but it was a really enjoyable day. <laughs> yeah, the nice thing about yep. chases like that, I mean, if like you're that. if you're yeah. trying to blast from uh, eastern Saskatchewan to western Saskatchewan, I mean, you have that Trans Canada Highway you can basically just fly on and 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 you can get there if you if you're if you leave enough time. But, no. it, but it definitely makes for a long day when you're driving back in the, right. in the same day. And chasing <laughs> the and driving it. back, well, it depends sometimes. I know the one time when I was out with Natani, it was like, well, I think I fell asleep in the car, but it was like lightning for six hours. <laughs> it was kind of cool to watch. Uh, I've uh, storm chased with my sister a few times, and I've, uh, big long storms like that. I find that uh, the lightning constantly flashing in your eyes, it kind of gets painful after a while, <laughs> especially yeah. when you're tired. <laughs> yeah. I think the longest uh, storm chase I've been on 
in one day. It was uh, I was solo last year, so I I chased from Oklahoma over to Arkansas, then into Texas, and then uh, back over through Dallas and up back into Oklahoma again. That was a very very long day. I swear I drove at least uh, at least twelve hundred kilometers. It was a no. It had to be well more than that. Oh man, it was brutal. Just a long grind, and uh, well, I got some good footage. That's for sure. But uh, yeah, it was a long day, man. This time you're gonna have something to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Keith, stay awake. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Nick. I got your picture of the anemometer here. That's, Excellent. So that plugs into, or so that just plugs into a display, and then can you plug other things into that too? Then. Yeah. So the the fan portion plugs into the top of the box, and there's a button uh, on here that says hold. And if you if you uh, press that button once, any data that you collect. Can then be um, can then be transferred onto a computer. Like you can't view all the statistics that this thing is is picking up in real time. You have to kind of view it after. You can see wind speed, temperature, and um, and um, oh, what's the other thing? There's one other thing on here that you can see. Uh, but um, but afterwards you can pull off like the pressure stats and the max temperature versus min temperature and total time elapsed and uh, you can watch in real time a graph of the wind speed and all that type of thing and so the top of the like the anemometer is just a USB um, plug mm -hmm. that plugs into the top of that and then there's a, a separate USB cord that that connects to your your computer afterwards to to retrieve the data off of the off of the device here. It's a pretty Very, cool uh, little unit. I, I, I tested it in the wintertime um, a couple of days when it was uh, pretty cold and windy out, and it gave a pretty accurate reading of, um, of uh, wind chill based on the air temperature and wind speed outside uh, um, that accurately reflected the same sort of values that uh, Environment Canada was spitting out over at the airport there. So. <laughs> I have to agree. Uh, in the winter, wind, collecting wind information is painful. Uh, I mean, I was freezing my hand off. I was sticking my hand out the the sunroof with my. <laughs> yeah, I'm brave. I stuck my hand out the sunroof, and it was, it was. I think the winds were gusting at about seventy to eighty. But I mean, even if it was minus ten out, and the wind is gusting at seventy eighty, that is, it, it got cold pretty quick. Uh, that's why I'm kind of looking for a uh, vehicle-mounted solution in cases like this, that's for sure. How about Velcro? <laughs> <laughs> that's the answer to everything. It's a new duct tape. Well, I'll strip this stuff right off my truck. <laughs> Got to be careful with the paint. I see someone asking for the best theme song for storm chasing. I, I would say for my, my, I would say would be a, Riders of the Storm from the Swedish metal band Hammerfall. That's, mm. that's a very perfect, perfect theme song. <laughs> so getting back into storm chasing a little bit to finish off the show, um, I wanted to uh, put this question to you guys. Uh, Ryan and Tani and I, we had a good little uh, Skype chat about this earlier in the year, uh, which unfortunately never went to air. But... Um, 
about the po how popular storm chasing has become and some of the dangers with that. Do you think uh, the popularity that we're seeing uh, in the U.S., is that going to expand uh, into Canada? Well, I know it's already expanding into Canada, but do you think that could become a problem in Canada, or do you think it's, it's sort of more of Holy a niche in Canada? It, it, I'll say what I said last time, and that's what it will as a fad because people are going to start doing it and be like, holy crap, I just spent like $500 in gas in two days. I'm broke. Let's go back home and not do it again. <laughs> and, and, and the ones that know what we're doing, like, you know, us, that are the ones that are lifers. <laughs> well, I think it, uh, some of it will depend on the success rate of actual uh, of people who are new at it. Um, if they are successful a few times, they will get that adrenaline rush and, of course, get hooked on it. Um, and then sometimes the reason, the rational part of it, uh, you know, financial rational part will, uh, you know, keep them in moderation. Now, the interest in storm chasing itself will always be there. In fact, as the Earth's population grows, so will the interest grow. There'll be more people interested per capita in doing the storm chasing. And <clears throat> I think it's it's a responsible thing for people like us to to show a um, an example of how to do it properly and safely. And you know, we can't control other people, but we can control ourselves. And I think it, that's where it, uh, responsible storm chasing starts. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point to make. Is we can't control others, but we can control our influence on others. And I think um, you know, lead by example. Yeah. And, and that's something that should never be uh, undervalued because uh, somebody's always watching. <laughs> let's let's face it, especially in, in this day and age. Yeah. And one interesting clip that you played in that our last interview was uh, the fact that one one gentleman was uh, saying that storm chasers aren't needed anymore. We've got radar, and um, I don't agree. Um, I do agree that we have radar, but I don't. I don't agree that the Canadian network here is as efficient as it could be at about getting the word out about severe weather. If we see something instantly, immediately, we are already on social networks and streaming it live to the public and to authorities as well, because we do take our time to report it into Environment Canada, who has the arsenal of persons to help get the word out. Um, and there's nothing better than ground truth. I, there really isn't. I mean, with with the weather radar and the topography and the way that it works, you cannot beat ground truth on this. Yeah. Well, that kind of like that whole Camp Sack tornado, um, as you've seen on radar, it was really, in a million years, you would have never guessed that there was something going on there. It was like the fact yeah. that we were seeing it was the only reason why it was reported. Nick, any thoughts on that topic? Uh, not really. I've kind of said everything that I need to say about it in the past, too. I guess just to reiterate, I mean, 10 years ago when I used to go out um, spotting, when I just, you know, first started making uh, money and could afford, uh, could afford to spend some cash on gas to go out, I used to go and sit on... Uh, on um, the road um, just between Regina and Moose Jaw that heads south to Briarcrest, and that was sort of my, you know, major spotting point, and I would kind of follow storms that were within that sort of 50-kilometer uh, radius, I guess you could say, 
And of course, that was before mobile internet and everything like that. So basically, what what um, what I used to do was I would uh, I would wait for um, a storm report to come out over my weather radio or out of my um, PC at home, and I didn't have a laptop at that time either. And uh, I would go uh, take a drive out to where they said this storm was forming or formed and then be able to get a visual on it and then just sort of wait and and then report what was going on to uh, Environment Canada or or over um, a closed band uh, radio or whatever um, at the time. And then as this has sort of evolved into this, um, you know, plethora of information, and the first thing that occurred was that people were able to take their their internet with them, right? So when the iPhone came out and these smartphones started coming out, people were able to retrieve that information almost anywhere. And then the network started getting better to the point where people were capable of now, you know, physically streaming exactly what they saw to, to everyone else, which was a, a big plus for driving the popularity of storm chasing up for sure. Um, which I have no problem with either. I, I would like it if everybody were storm spotters and knew what they were looking at and, and uh, knew how to be safe and, and could go out into a, into a field and, and observe a storm from a safe distance. My, some of my favorite memories are just being alone on a grid road um, watching a storm from inside my car. And I didn't take photos. I didn't do um, a whole lot of video. Once in a while I do video, but I really enjoyed just sitting there and, and watching a storm sort of roll right in front of me uh, from a safe distance and be able to know what I was looking at. And I would encourage everybody to be able to go out and do that. And I've always said I would like it to get to a point where I don't have to go storm spotting anymore because people are just educated enough that they know what's going on um, and they're weather wise and they take these things seriously. I don't know that we'll ever get to that point, but hopefully if there's enough trained storm spotters and certainly over the last couple of years, um, there's been a huge influx of, of people calling themselves storm chasers um, in Saskatchewan, um, which is nice to see as well because um, even though I enjoyed being alone out on the road there, um, it's nice to be able to have somebody to, to chat with once in a while once you're out there. So, yeah. <clears throat> I got to agree with that. You know, I, I have the same nostalgic feeling uh, when it comes to uh, watching say something like the northern lights when i'm the only one out there and it's i'm out there in the black pitch black and there's the northern lights and, and you're appreciating it 100 percent of the time and you're following it and you're just enjoying the beauty of the living skies here in saskatchewan it's it works both ways with uh, thunderstorms as well <laughs> but uh, you know Aurora isn't dangerous. <laughs> at least. Yeah, I mean, there, there was nothing for me better than, you know, going out at five o'clock after the storms had fired up and, and watching a severe storm, observing a wall cloud, reporting the hail size, you know, doing all that type of thing. But then after the severity had worn off and the storm starts to piddle out to get into that pitch black situation where you're in the middle of nowhere in Saskatchewan, and all you have to do is is watch the lightning from a distance of 20 kilometers away, you know, from the from the hood of your car, um, which I don't recommend for people because you might still get hit by lightning. But I used to uh, I used to love that part of of the end of the day type thing when you're just alone and and watching uh, the lightning from the storm. Yeah, there is that romantic part about storm chasing. That's for sure. It's true. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 